clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of Snowpiercer. This is for the third episode of the third season. This one is called The First Blow. This is Paul Daly, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Kat from Latinx Lens Podcast. Hey, how are you doing? Happy to be back. And uh, also Inez. Welcome back, Inez. I very incorrectly predicted in the first episode that that the rejoining of the trains would happen sometime mid-season. And by that, I meant episode five. Here we are, episode three, and we're already there. But one of you two predicted, nah, it'll happen right away. Mm-hmm. That was me. I finally got one right. <laughs> <laughs> and I did give myself a little celebratory dance when it happened. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> Nailed it. So did this live up to your ideal of what rejoining the train would be? I probably expected more conflict. I expected more like uprising inside of the train. We did have a little bit about that, but it didn't seem at all like impactful. In fact, they were losing, right? Like, um, (laughs) but I mean, I also like to remember about, you know, like the limitations that we each realistically have in here. And so in terms of how easy it is to actually like overcome something in here because it's not like the super drama films like we're in very limited space and resources so i'm not upset it was a simple plan more or less they only had one way to win cut off the head of the snake in this case the snake being mr wilford and they and they got it in one one shot but the title of this episode the first blow makes me worried i was thinking this would happen throughout the episode like okay they may not get back on the train if it's called the first blow but then obviously it plays out where they do get control and so then i'm thinking like okay is there going to be another blow like down the road <laughs> so it's how many blows are we looking at here yeah yeah so i feel like that's a bit of foreshadowing and we shouldn't uh, discount it yet it just seems like there's something looming looming especially now that you know episode three i i also thought it would be like down the road and I, so it just seems like what else is coming <laughs> Yeah, I know. The worrisome aspect of, of his plan is that he he alluded to this idea of a surprise, right? When he calls for Zara at the very beginning of the conflict and he says that he's got a surprise for Leighton and then he whips out the harpoon and the harpoon seems like a terrible idea, doesn't it? Yeah, especially since he's got his love over there on the train. It's like, um... Pretty risky, like- right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because it was aimed farther up in the train, right? Like they only caught like the end part of it because they sped up. So it could have realistically originally been like a more fatal blow to the whole thing. And then what? Like where's that like loyalty to her that they make a point to throw in our face that this is like an unbreakable kind of bond? The only thing I was thinking is maybe the harpoon, had it been aimed, you know, not at the wheels, but into the body of a car then sort of sort of like a pirate action right where you board via this this rope in between the two vessels obviously it didn't work out that way but it but it still seemed not up to Mr. Wilford's usual deviousness 
That leads me to think that his surprise is that icy baby that we've been talking about. <laughs> Unless you guys think he's got something else up his sleeve. I don't feel like there's more scheming at the moment. I mean, I don't discount him in the future, but for this right now, like the harpoon was a plan B for whatever it was that he originally had, right? Because I think we opened up with him saying a true general can pivot basically. Yeah, the improvisation speech. Yeah, it gave me the impression with that opening speech that the harpoon thing was like plan B. Well, you're probably right because, I mean, plan A, I think, was the EMP, but that went away. So then he was working on this harpoon. Then there's then that didn't quite go quite right. I'm sure that he's not going to give up on his scheming, but for right now, I don't think that he realistically has a plan. I don't feel like he's in touch with the plane enough to have like plan like C, D, E, F. (laughs) Yeah, and I think he's also, the resources um, were more apparent or the lack of resources. And I think also the morale of Snowpiercer were more apparent to me in this episode for some reason. (laughs) It just seems like people, given the conditions that they've been in and the way he's treated them, I think he also didn't have the support that he had when like the first takeover because people just wanted to change from the like the latent Melanie thing. So I think he also probably didn't count on that as well. I do feel like he was really caught off guard and maybe that's kind of like the irony of the speech at the beginning because he was like, I'll do whatever it takes. I was thinking he was going to use Zara in a different way. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, Like maybe like have a knife to her throat or something when Layden comes in, but he just didn't see Layden or Josie coming in. So I think it really just threw him off guard to maybe using Zara as like, the. I think Zara would have been plan C to use her against Layden um but yeah I guess he just was really caught off guard which I don't know I even thought like even him being in jail right now I just think like he's so scheming that he has to have a plan but maybe he really didn't maybe he he doesn't but I do think he's gonna use um the things that you know we will talk about later on to his advantage when he finds out more of the story of what's going on with you know with leadership now and then I think he's gonna get back to scheming so maybe he's down and out now but I do think he's gonna have something especially with that first blow title episode three in jail it definitely feels like he's not (laughs) he's not making himself at home in that cell just yet but the stuff that he does i think the morale aspect combined with unleashing kevin and the shit that kevin did Mm -hmm. would combine toward (laughs) making him fairly unpopular once that gets out the the body horror stuff with strong boy uh they they haven't leaned too heavily into the body horror roots of of like the korean made movie Mm -hmm. but it was definitely there this week uh R.I.P. Strong Boy. He finally gets like lines. You know, he had just been grunting up until now. And now he gets to say words and stuff. He gets his SAG card. Yes. (laughs) But no. And then it's not good when someone who hasn't spoken speaks for the first time and then they're going to, that's like the TV, like you're going to (laughs) die. Right. Who knew that Strong Boy was just a red shirt all along? During the harpoon sequence, did anyone catch that Alex was... Pretty prepared to let loose those final cars, regardless of who else was in them. Oh, I think it was just more like a an engineering decision, but it was still startling that a kid would, because Sykes went back and saved Asha and said, you got to get out of here. And then they met Alex on the way back up train when she was coming back to <laughs> uncouple the cars. So if, if they hadn't met her, they'd have been on those cars. 
she's really young and she struggles um, consistently since, you know, last season, trying to be decisive. She's trying to act decisively and do the right thing that's going to keep everybody alive. Could it possibly be that because she's so green in like the bigger picture kind of stuff, especially when under panic, she she seems to kind of lose herself a little bit um, and that she just forgot? <laughs> I mean, I don't I didn't actually think about like an intentional break off. Like if she I, I guess because I didn't really I don't remember um, the last episode if she had any particular like fear or distrust about like Asha's presence um, no. in, in, yeah. in she the was, car. So she's kind of transparent last thought, time. Well, I do think that's a that's a telling point though of of the fact that she is not like she grew up from the school of Wilford, and so it's like you don't have to really worry about the casualties you just got to worry about the train and what you know like getting to her goal and also she's very scientifically minded so like you know the sense of sometimes she's just thinking about like well we need to do this and like you know or else she can't think of like the human (laughs) elements and I think that's where Melanie probably would have come in if she was still with her and kind of teach her that part like it is about the science but you also can't just disregard the human aspect to it as well so I feel like that's a telling point of her growing up with Wilford and not having the I think awareness to even have that cross her mind of like hey is everyone out of the train (laughs) out of those trains I'm just gonna about to release there are only like six of us so yeah uh. yeah, it would be yeah so who knows if it's like a and she's probably thinking maybe she also did the scientific calculation in her head of like huh Asha wait she's new probably don't really need her she's not an engineer you know and then like the and Sykes like you know obviously so she was on the other side for a little bit so she's like eh. <laughs> so maybe she also did that calculation with them and was like uh you know in the grand scheme of things it, it won't matter too much <laughs> maybe from what i've seen this season so far of alex like she is always like super on top of like the science and the urgency right now needs this like this is the right now solution and every time that she does end up making like better smarter choices that do end up being different than her original like no it has to be this way first like she needs somebody to kind of like pause and help her talk through it just like Kat said that is probably the biggest reason that she like just just like no like this is just like factually what has to happen as probably like the best fastest solution that she could think of in that moment so I don't think that it was any intention around like just getting rid of Asha you know for sake of it they think she's very young still and she's still learning um, how to trust herself and um, learning how to get through this because she doesn't have Wilford guiding her and she doesn't have Melanie guiding her. It was a very matter of fact approach to the problem. Like, you know, I, I relate everything to other movies that I've seen. And so <laughs> this reminded me a lot of, of say, like submarine movies, you know, like um, U571 mm-hmm. or something like that, where it's like, if we don't make yeah. this decision right now and possibly sacrifice people, um, a, a small amount of people, then all the people will, you know, in the case of the sub, sink, or in the case of the train, yeah. derail. But... I don't know how you assign when you're in that role, uh, making that decision, someone like Asha, who's as far as we know, unique in the entire last bit of humanity in what she can offer. How do you just be like, well, maybe 10 more seconds wouldn't hurt. I don't know. I mean, I I personally would (laughs) be terrible in that exact position, uh, uh, waiting for the person to get 
to the to the train or still being that she was a kid it, it did throw me for a second that she was like i don't care who's back there we're decoupling the train well you know she hasn't had a chance to be a kid either so i think like That's the true. age like she's just focused on her um task at hand and like saving the train and melanie was like that for the most part too until like laden you know kind of bombarded like she was always doing everything that was necessary well what she thought was necessary and kind of treating people like you know um numbers on a page instead of um humans in some aspect because i think it would be just too hard to make those decisions if you think about every single person like so i think that's like the what the probably the people who have to make those really tough decisions. Like, I don't know how they weigh the consequences because it's like, like one human life is too much, you know? And, but like, they have to kind of, what about five, like 500, you say 500, but you lose how many and that's okay. Like, you know, what would be, what would be the okay number for that? (laughs) I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Those are wartime decisions Mm -hmm. that are left to, to people that have to carry that burden yeah exactly and, yeah. And, I, and i think that's where Layden he he's more of like i don't want to lose anybody melanie was more on the other end i don't necessarily think alex is going to be like the, she shouldn't be like the sole leader of snow because she would probably make those decisions that wouldn't favor people <laughs> more of like we well, gotta she's get learning here. right you're yeah. right though she is yeah. learning it's just a, it's just a struggle to get there where would you find the balance what would be the right answer how would history look back mm-hmm. And yeah. say that was the perfect decision that every good leader would ever make. And maybe Wilford didn't allow her to think of anything else um, as well, because she had to make those decisions and he probably put her in scenarios where she was doing that kind of stuff and like putting so much pressure on her that she didn't have time to really think like, hey, there's another solution that might actually save people and will be scientifically sound as well. And so I think she's also learning like my first inkling of whatever the calculation is correct. Like, let me just do another one that can actually include saving people. Um, And I don't think he allowed her probably to do like to have that mindset either. Mm -hmm. Well, you're right. If you recall, he was testing her but they were all for the good of the train and they weren't people oriented exactly remember there was an episode where it was like he wanted her to keep a certain speed or something but the but -hmm. they were going either like uphill or around a corner or or something like that and it had to be the exact right equation otherwise they would derail and but he was like forcing the situation they could do it safely (laughs) but he was forcing her to do it a certain way and it was the same sort of thing yeah 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 Yeah, i think yeah that's that's what i was remembering i think like so she's just she needs to really she needs to snap out of that but i'm sure it's embedded yeah Yeah, i mean she spent eight years or seven years or so on wilford's train engineering boot camp and she's only been like free for like six months, right? And she has like no mentors around her. You know, I don't really see anybody encouraging or helpful for her. And so it's like really on her and she has to look intrinsically. And and yeah, she only has this very specific like lens of experience for her whole engineering upbringing. So I can see, I, I don't blame her for that, but hopefully she does realize that eventually like this kind of like sloppy instinctive kind of things that don't take the human factor is something that she needs to work on relating to the someone on snowpiercer taking alex under their wing i think that i've noticed that alex's appearance is softer and more put together if that's possible her hair looks did and her makeup looks did as opposed to last season when it was not 
Yeah, she definitely got bangs. And I was thinking it was more like, you know, like when they have to like update people like the the second season from season to season on TV shows. And like there's not really a valid explanation because like it's six months later, but... I don't know, like on Snowpiercer, like where, what salon are you going to? Like, you know, like even more so than like other shows, you can kind of maybe justify like, oh yeah, they probably got this and this, but you know, it's just because it's a TV show and they need to update it. So it's not just the same thing. So for a viewer, you're like, oh, okay. You know, you see a different look and stuff like that. So I was actually taken aback from like the first episode where we saw her, like her appearance was different. And so now that you're bringing it up, I think it's more of like, like what's the justification for those changes of like her. That's what I'm things? asking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so because I don't see Bess Till as like a big hair yeah, helper. No. Um. <laughs> so to me, it felt a little bit out of place, to be honest. Because I was like, uh, "This just seems like it's more of a TV thing than than a character Maybe. thing." I don't know. Like she's has access to her mom's like quarters, and Melanie wore makeup to like be this facade for the train, and so maybe being able to on some of the downtime that they do have, because I don't imagine that they're like twenty four seven in this high stress, like <laughs> you know, like looking around and taking action and screaming and running no, around. There's, you I know, bet it's like the military. It's like a hurry up and wait. Like they yeah. need to act when they need to act, but it's pretty exactly. boring in between. And also just from like the show writer perspective it's just kind of like an easy physical way of showing like her Mm -hmm. living conditions how it's differed and changed you know from the hardship that they experienced on on big alice on my assumption here i have noticed it i didn't think about it until now so if i'm going to have to put it i'm just it could just be like a boredom thing um you know in between (laughs) stuff and also like it's literally touched her mother oh man that's a good connection and i think about that a lot because i have a 10 year old daughter and i always you know she's always like mom why do you like love my toes why do you love my hands and i always say (laughs) because i made it i stitched every cell of you together there's that same kind of connection from her where she finally has her mom and she finally genuinely like felt it and then she lost her so i can see like this is something precious to me that because my mom held it so even though it's like a whole unspoken like I really doubt that we'll get like a clear answer from anybody like oh like Alex I noticed you've been wearing makeup like I don't see that kind of scene (laughs) happening so that would be my inference of of maybe maintaining closeness because I could see why they were being makeup on there yeah Melanie made herself up every day and they had to do it for the end of the world right so maybe she's got a huge stash in there (laughs) that would be a good justification now that you you've mentioned all that because she's just there in her quarters and wanting to connect with her so she probably like put it on to see like oh this is what my mom did and and now she just continued continued it so yeah that makes sense that's the story i'm going to create <laughs> because we'll never yeah, we'll yeah. never I mean, know <laughs> yeah the writers though will probably appreciate because my thing was like oh this just seems like a tv thing but that is a good i'll take that justification it being melanie's makeup and her wanting to connect with her mom now that she's gone so yeah so if anybody when they get back on when now that they're connected to the other train they're like alex you're like all made up now and it's like oh well, it's my mom's <laughs> makeup because you know she died because wilford murdered her like i can like see her being able to use that in her back pocket that works for me because i mean i noticed it but then there was also like josie's hand which came out of nowhere and so i was just wondering if they you know had some just behind the scenes things that weren't supposed to be a big deal that they were never going to really explain on on screen but still happened but that whole story you came up with i makes sense I'm glad I can bring like warmth and rainbows to your picture now. <laughs> Thank you. Picture. Thank you for that. <laughs> In the action sequence there, I remember that we had been talking about Javi 
all season so far, kind of wondering what it was going to be, how subdued he was, essentially. After this scene, I think I think we know he was not going to blow his one shot. <laughs> he knew that he was going to get one shot to do something good and to take down Wilford, but he couldn't just misspend it on talking to Zara or you know, some other bullshit thing. He got one shot and that was it. I was very proud of Javi's little finger reaching over and opening up that hatch. A lot of has to do also that um, Javi has had of all the people trying to get him involved or get him to contribute to the rebellion cause. He's not close to any of them like he is Ben. Hearing Ben's voice using their like secret language that only like they know like because they used to speak in code all the time like mm. in when Melanie was in charge on purpose. They have like a, a camaraderie that probably is the only thing that would have been able to snap Javi out of it because he doesn't yeah. know Ruth like that. He doesn't know Pike like that. He doesn't know Zara like that. So, um, mm, yeah. but hearing Ben pop up after he's traumatized, it's like, okay, like this is the time. And, yeah, and that scene, he's embraced, oh, Ben's embracing yeah. Javi oh. and like, like that relief that Javi has. Oh my God. Like Javi definitely saved the day by like hearing it, but it's, it's, I feel like it's because of Ben more than anybody yeah. else. Like if he was going to let go again, I think, and like trust someone, it couldn't just be anyone. And so it makes sense why he didn't go with Ruth. Cause it was just like, not like you mentioned, it wasn't the time, like he wasn't going to risk it. And, and, and I don't know if he fully trusts her, um, or knows her. Maybe he trusts her, but didn't know her enough given his experience. Yeah. And then, but he knows Ben. So he was, he was willing to do it. And oh, that, that embrace was so sweet. I was just like, cause nothing needed to be spoken. Like, um, and then Ben knew like he, he just needed to hold him and be like, you're okay now. Like, you know, it's like when you rescue someone from, from a really bad situation and, you know, just embrace and let them, let them do what they need to do. And then, you know, the healing can begin, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, that was really a sweet moment. And Javi didn't really know Ruth's version as Robin Hood, like intimately. You know, yeah. it was kind mm -hmm. of like he kind of heard it because the people in passing had whispered to try to be supportive and inclusive of him, probably thinking, well, Wolfers definitely fucked you up. So you're definitely yeah. going to be on our side. But I think they probably underestimated the kind of trauma, even though they all say, right, like everybody has scars. Mm -hmm. But this is like fresh scars for him. Yes. He, and he, <laughs> Like he never really left the train when in season one, he never really left the engine room because he didn't have a relationship with Ruth at that. Like he knew he was keeping the secret from Ruth too. So he, he doesn't have this, like Ruth is like the, somebody that I can really trust. And then Zara, I can see how he wouldn't trust her completely because she's very like casual and comfortable in the way that she talks with Wilford. Like you, I feel like sometimes yeah. even she forgets that she's a hostage. And even when they talk about her being a hostage, it's like still not nearly like scary at all it's like oh yeah, yeah yeah i forgot and so why would he trust her too like maybe she could squeal on him if the pressure is done right especially with her being so vulnerable one other uh person that i that having to do with the whole revolution phase and moving forward that i need to discuss with you guys is asha we only Ooh, see yeah. her a little bit but what we do see is a little wiggity whack uh, with mm -hmm. with the needing to wear the old helmet with the eyepieces down and all that. 
confining herself on purpose in, into her into her mm-hmm. previous existence. That just felt more like the the PTSD and like being around people. That's yes, and like that's that's her comfort. Yeah, but combine that with her words. She seems like she might be kind of leaning toward a Mr. Wilford type existence than a Andre Layton existence. Even though Layton saved her, she's got like this cachet of respect for Wilford based on his previous reputation, apparently, because she keeps bringing it up. She did. Like, are you the good guy? Or like, how do you know you're... Yeah, she brought it... Like, I thought she was actually going to be... Like, when they did... When they got into... um, the engine and stuff, I thought she was going to be the wild card and like come in and help Wilford in a way. Like, you know, like maybe kind of do something, but then she didn't. And then she's gone through with, you know, what um, Leighton asked her to do. So, but I think like that's one of the things I alluded to in the beginning of like Wilford's going to talk to, have to talk to Asha in some way. And then I think there's going to be some collusion there with them. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. We can also discuss in this same portion, the big fat lie. Mm, Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i feel like she definitely has and i think we talked a little bit about this last episode because of how she was like oh the great will the great engineer wilford Mm -hmm. um and so she already having like confidence in his reputation and ability to keep them alive right because she said like isn't that why you're alive i can see like her doing that, especially after Leighton decided to use her. Like he doesn't know her. And then like he's she's been like surviving for eight years living in this suit. So I totally from a PTSD thing agree with Kat that it's a it's definitely a comforting kind of thing because that's what she knows of like if I, I need to keep this on my head um to stay alive. Um and I can see why she would want that to kind of silence this the space around her because she's been alone where she feels even strange hearing her own voice. I get it. But uh I I can definitely see her being very like turned off by being a tool a political pawn that will give her whatever she needed to distrust Leighton I feel like this would be it why make her lie why why isn't her story good enough just that she survived on the surface why turn it into this malarkey about New Eden (laughs) I think Layden's learned his lesson of being too truthful doesn't work (laughs) or um, I don't think he trusts the people enough to make that decision. So I was surprised by that because I thought just living on the surface would be enough. But how was she living on the surface in that suit? Not necessarily in the best of circumstances. So why would they want to move from the same thing basically on the train to maybe having you know like what being cold on the surface again or you know like having to still live in like those circumstances it's like more more um convincing to like hey there's actually like trees and things like something that would want to motivate people to risk their lives not just more of the same because if they ask me like hey do you want to be here or the possibility of you know the unknown maybe a death like what would you choose well yeah i mean her circumstances were uh, i think I think the math of it was that she was slowly dying of radiation poisoning anyway. Uh-huh, yes. Everyone else did die of that uh, by the sounds of it. But still, just the prospect that they're searching for spots on the planet that are 
they're not ready yet, but they're getting closer than, than the previous mathematical models had predicted. I think that's the what he was aiming for. But the big fat lie is going to be mm-hmm. so easy to disprove. You've got this yes. wild card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. Like, he's definitely making a, like a... Like a line in the sand. like, because if it's not there, like they know they're gonna die. Like, because like there would be, uh, I mean, I'm sure there would be a revolution, and Wolford would be right there to be like, well, he lied to you. I mean, at least I'm over here telling you the truth, or you know, spin his his version of whatever happens. What you said, Cat, about not trusting the people, mm-hmm. I think is probably very key to this conversation because he's left, um fate up to the people before yes and that's what ruth was like you're gonna trust the people like you know because she she knew how it would probably go and then and then i thought like oh yeah me like i was ruth too asking that same question but then he turned it around on us and like showed that he's learned not to necessarily put it all in the people's hands he just swayed them i'm struggling with this i felt like josie in that circle because josie is like hardcore all about integrity and she was not happy about about this um, very blatant um, show that they're starting to put on. And at first I was like, I was pissed. I wrote down like sloppy work, Layton. <laughs> and, um, and I thought it was so, I thought it was so fucking dumb to, to do that. And I'm like, well, am I surprised? Because Layton gives me this experience consistently. So, you know, so I was really disappointed with it. And when they're going around in the circle and all of them are bringing up the old lies that saved the train. And I'm thinking like, at first I I was conflicted in myself. Like, is this supposed to help me feel better about the lie? Like, oh, it is necessary. Like if I was okay with Melanie's lie, um, I should theoretically be okay then with this lie. But honestly, I don't think that Melanie needed to lie from the get-go. I felt like she could have fucking done what she wanted from the beginning and still like maintain order and balance and whatever. I don't know why like she didn't tell the truth back then. So I still feel like there's no reason to make up this lie now. And he didn't even have to give this like fake perception of diplomacy. Like if you're going to do a, if you're going to fake it anyway, then like just fucking keep the train and make the decision for everybody like a good fucking leader instead of a schemy leader. So it, the whole like this whole story piece on here, like I'm not. I'm not thrilled about. I think it was wrong. I think that it's going to definitely blow up in their face. And I still and I'm mad that we didn't have a conversation about like why are we still fucking going? Like why are we telling everybody about this place when we don't actually know anything except for that it is a warm spot. And we also know factually that they've said like it's warmer, but it's not habitable. And why have we like why are we just like saying and, and making this decision like this without the facts? Because yeah, they're setting themselves up for for failure um later on. It's just really sloppy to make those kinds of public announcements. And there's a lot facts. of people that know the lie. There mm-hmm. were there were a lot of yeah. people on that train that went to Korea, not New Eden. Doesn't Miss Audrey know it too? Yeah, well, more or less, she was in the engine during that whole thing. 
But she knows that there was no no Eden, like no trees and stuff like that would have been they would have been all she could see it out the window occasionally. They would yeah, have stopped so... the train and gotten out and taken a look, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So I was just thinking, like, why would you put that out there too? Because like Miss Audrey's out in the open. They're not like caging her anymore. So like she's definitely gonna go run to Wilford. Like they're not gonna be able to keep them apart. Like they're gonna try, maybe, but that's gonna get to Wilford. And then he's I was thinking, like, that's just an easy way for him to start scheming again knowing that there's this big lie i'm really mad about this i'm not kind of <laughs> mad i'm really mad and um i don't know if it's just because it's like internally for me like i'm just mad personally i don't know if this is like intentional of the writers to like make me angry or if the writers were really thinking like oh yeah this is totally like a plausible um like normal situation like i don't know i can't tell and it's making me upset <laughs> I can't tell if like the writers are doing that on purpose or or if like this show is just like really sloppy writing on this part. I bet not um, on on the sloppy writing part, but I mean we've I've seen this in other kinds of shows like this. A lot of this show reminds me of Battlestar Galactica. There's a central premise that the guy in charge says that he knows where they can be safe, but it's going to take a long time to get there. You just got to trust the process and we'll get there. He doesn't know where he's going. He just knows that he has to keep going because the enemy is nipping at their heels. You know, it takes about half the, the length of the show before it comes out. Like he doesn't actually know where they're going. He's just doing his best to keep everybody alive on the journey. See, I feel like he, like, is very confident. Like he's like chest out and like just just go with it just go with it because like he's the one who has the visions and all of a sudden these visions are like the only information we need to make a rational decision and that makes me mad so yeah i don't know maybe maybe the writers want me to hate layton right now because that's where i am right now i hate him <laughs> i don't want him to be leader and i kind of like want there to be like a Ruth versus Layton thing. You know, I have a lot of wonderful things to talk about Ruth in this episode. It came up at the tail end of season one before we invited Inez to join us. But Kat, do you recall talking about Layton as a wartime and a peacetime chief or general or boss? You remember that? those kind of conversations and whether or not yes. the same guy who's good enough, good to lead you or same person who's good to lead you through a conflict is the same person that's good to lead you through, you know, running a government. Yeah. I remember talking a lot about his leadership stuff because <laughs> <laughs> it has not really improved. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to excel in the conflict, but you know, he didn't get a chance to show that he could lead during peacetime because Mr. Wilford showed up and, and stuck his thumb in the works immediately. But our suspicion, and you know, this episode didn't help that suspicion, is that he's not really equipped for the kind of the the machinations that go into running the government part. Like you're saying, Inez, the the decision making and all that, the the leaning toward the lying, the what the lesson that he learned from getting burned in the last changeover when the people picked Wolford was that he just needs to lie his way until 
<laughs> until yeah. he gets what he wants. All his previous mentors, like that's what he got from them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He definitely doesn't have operations manager experience. No. But I, I can respect that he has like a human um, experience um, kind of thing, like a quality of life thing, maybe from just the trauma of um, how he got onto the train was like very traumatic experience, right? Because it's at the expense of like so many other people dying. And, uh, re- you know, then he had a like, really awful seven years of being treated like subhuman um, on this train. So I, I get it. I get it that he's got the, the passion and he's got the right um, moral center. But it really upsets me that he's kind of like running the show like he does, like he is well-rounded and has that um, strategic vision um, and operational, like realistic expectations kind of experience. Like I, I, I wish that I could see him acknowledge his skills gaps <laughs> <laughs> and bring in people <laughs> to help address those. Speaking of someone that could do that, Ruth, what Ruth. did you, what did you want to talk about with Ruth? Oh my God. I love Ruth and I want Ruth to be like my leadership mentor her and Pike's dynamic, I could see in this episode that she is his mentor. Like he's really protective over her because he believes in her deeply and they have a very great like rapport with each other. He's like full blown trust. And this is somebody that like he had disdain for, right? She's part of the original oppressors that did a lot of harm to the tailies. It was, we recall from, you know, how she would address them all the time. Right. So, like to see where they are now, I feel like it's because he, she is very good at like pausing, talk about the bigger picture, bringing the bigger picture back into it and saying like, this is where you need to step up. And then he's like, he accepts it. And he's like, okay, um, I trust you. So just like, tell me what, what information I need to know to execute on this the way you want. Right. He didn't like link around and, and like, Oh, I need this or yeah, I don't know. He didn't, he doesn't fight her on it. And I, it's not because he has any kind of fears because he has an immense level of respect for that. And I really loved seeing this kind of like leadership mentorship in place because she had to hand him the torch. He was in charge and he didn't know how to like be a leader in there. And I feel like he's even doing better about like learning that than I see Leighton do when Leighton got the baton. I really appreciate that part of her. And then so listening to then listening to her speaking with Leighton, I love all the questions that she's asking, all the perspectives she's bringing. Cause it's like, for me, it's like a breath of fresh air. Like, okay, like I get it. And, and she honestly is the reason why I was like, like calming myself down about the lie because I'm like, okay, I trust Ruth. And she's like on board with this, even though she was really upset about being lied to by Melanie. And mm-hmm. she's the one that talks about like Melanie lied to everybody on the train. And I'm like, okay, she can get past it. Maybe I can get past it. So she's the only reason that I was like a little bit okay with that little like dummy reflection circle that I saw. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Either of you, where do you see um, Ruth's role going forward. I mean, she, she had a role in the previous incarnations of the train. You know, she was Melanie's right hand at first. Then when Wilford took over, she was the hospitality person. I don't know where hospitality fits now in the 
new version of the train where the classes have been mixed. I don't, you know, where, where do you think she, she lines up? Is she, is she, um, a number two who's actually more capable than the number one? Is she, should she be yes. number one? You go cat. Cause everybody knows how I feel <laughs> that Ruth should be taking in charge of everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it's just, it becomes so apparent like in the, in her progression of, of how she really changed her, her tune about Wilford and the way she approaches, uh, the people on the train and how she's become, uh, you know, the basically the lead of the resistance and people trust her and she's very caring and thoughtful. Also, she's very aware of the perception of even if if she thinks like there should be something else and she knows how it's going to land with people like she really does have that like um i think because of her hospitality experience she knows i guess you know from people um you know if you give something like a wrong order people will be up in arms so she's like equated that to just like the political stuff and and the overall um feeling of how people kind of are swayed with certain things well like we discussed her her experience in anticipating needs yes yeah so she's so transferred good. yeah so i it's like transferable skills right exactly <laughs> <laughs> she would be a really great leader but i don't know and i think Layden would be like a good like first officer or whatever you know like the, like <laughs> like giving him like, way more credit than i do go ahead <laughs> yeah i mean i do think like we did have a lot of these discussions like you said in season one of like where he really fits and I and I don't know if he was just more of like fit in the Taylor section when they were trying to get out and then like it hasn't really like his skills it hasn't really transferred over to the overall leadership of the train so if we're thinking like where would he really fit would it be more of like the practicality and like people giving him orders and as long as they were like just or that sort of thing they've got a couple things that they need to to work on they voted to go to new eden based on a lie but what does that mean does that mean that you put all of your eggs in this one basket or does that mean that you know you should be preparing for also keeping the train running in the very likely event that, <laughs> that New Eden is bullshit and you'd need to keep going for the rest of time like had been originally planned. If you have Layton running the show, it feels like you're going to be parting out the train intending for this this one run to, to the Horn of Africa to be like your last trip. And it feels like you should be maybe hedging your bets a little bit. So someone like you guys are saying with Ruth, she seems to be okay operating as an advisor to Leighton right now because he's living it as up as the people's champion right now because he's the face of the resistance, even though Ruth was running it, actually. He was just right. gallivanting on a pirate train. He's riding her coattail by, at this point now because she's been for six months building out like the morale part of all of this. Like she already has the operational experience stuff. She's got leadership because she was able in six months able to get everybody part of the resistance to like elevate her to like the top the tippy top of right of of this new underground organization that's huge especially for somebody that they like hated for a long time most of these people were not treated well by her and for her to have acknowledged turn around and acknowledge her wrongdoings and then really do like whatever it took to like make it right in a very tangible like way of pike never had that kind of respect for Layton. And there's been no acknowledgement 
of the resistance having fucked up the EMP plan or be, or uh, being responsible for shooting off those fireworks so that they could find the train in the first place. Yeah, she called, she's also has like now like the train's version of military experience. And that's really huge, especially for somebody who like was very like clean and, and prim. And they really should have had like a moment to kind of reflect on their government. And I really wish that Layton would be able to like, okay, like I participated in getting this train back, but like I'm clearly a shitty leader. So can somebody please else like where, where's the scenario we get of Layton stepping back to just go be a dad now like I want that I want that option because <laughs> it's the only one that makes sense to me because I really do feel like Ruth has everything and she's she's earned all of the she's done all of the the dirty work she's got more like knowledge on this and like I think that she's impacted the people in a way that nobody in the history of being on the train has been able to do in like a positive mm -hmm. way you know so even though she did hurt them for seven years I get that I get it but I feel like she's already redeemed herself and I and then we're moving on she's a different person and she's turned out to be like proven to be an even better leader in the x-men comics the x-men spent 40 years battling magneto and eventually they realized magneto's right the whole time and they let him in <laughs> so, <laughs> so now the yeah. x-men work with magneto and have been for like 10 years so it's the same kind of deal <laughs> exactly there you go and i love magneto so boom i'm consistent yes <laughs> <laughs> It checks. It tracks. <laughs> Are we going to talk about LJ and how we were right that she can just switch sides? <laughs> Let's do that. Okay, we talked about the body horror stuff in the night car concerning Kevin and Strongboy, but that was really kind of a, a backdrop to the character stuff that we saw with Oz and, and LJ. Oz continues softening i guess from from where we where we first met him and lj continues doubling down <laughs> with with her abilities to mix into whatever she needs to to find an advantage you know last week it was um appealing to mr wilford and his his sense of of opportunity to unite the train under the guise of this happy occasion, you know, their, their wedding this week, it's, it's uh, slitting Kevin's throat uh, in the name of, of resistance, which she has no intention of actually being a part of beyond, you know, the 15 minutes it took to, to, to clean up Kevin's body. Well, like RIP Kevin. Right. But also like, no, fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> fuck him. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like, uh, I'm not going to give him any, any, I'm not, it's not like RIP strong boy, which is like, Oh, it was unfortunate though for his circumstance. Like he was doing what he needed to survive as well, but he, you know, didn't choose the right side. Like Ruth did. Like she actually had like a moral compass even outside of the survival. Kevin just seems sadistic. He was like, yes. And I think that's also because like what it, Wilfred did to him and like, I don't know, it's just, it, it's unfortunate. But yeah, I was thinking like, of course, LJ would like kill someone in a, like to get her sadistic high and then use it as like justification. Like, no, I'm actually on the right side. <laughs> I was like, that is such an LJ thing to do. And then over there you got Osweiler like, oh, there was no other options on this like young, young people. <laughs> so, so this is like all he has. And I think that's probably the reason why he goes with it. Like he, like, cause 
he's definitely not happy with what she does in in that regard everything else of i guess loving on her is fine but like this part is just they do not agree (laughs) he's like damn that ginger fetish yeah (laughs) (laughs) i really enjoyed the whole scenario from end to end on this particular storyline this episode episode i mean obviously it was foreshadowing right osweiler like having being very clearly uncomfortable and then <laughs> lj being her psycho self like oh just come make some coffee for us and like she's like enjoying this like power show that she's hosting in her home so like seeing that and then the twist on kevin's face like the moment <laughs> that he heard wilford give the train up to Layton. And I just wrote in really big letters. I said, Kevin is fucked. (laughs) 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 And I genuinely, and I was like, you know, obviously like now LJ has to like live with this thing. And I was so curious. I will say that did get me really excited when that happened. I'm like, how was LJ going to turn this around when she was so clearly psycho in in the moments before? And I was like, oh yeah, like this is, this is expected. Like I, I expected this. It kind of symbolically made me sad because it's like, if I kind of tie this into like real governments and things that happen, like how people get that. I felt like the cinematography was very intentional about like putting her there, the visual of her hand in a fist pump in the air, which is very like symbolic in our society right now of like the oppressed people. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of felt like here's like some like whitewashing or some just like, you know, you know, she's like it's her hand and she kind of had it shaped exactly like I see in all of those flags of the oppression, the resistance type of like symbol. So I felt I couldn't help but kind of maybe see how that could tie into like society kind of here. Like, oh, there are people that like are are fake fakers like this just to like survive and get away with whatever ugliness that they have. So she's not going to be the only one that's like a fake resistance person and i feel like that's going to play into our story here of um, whatever kind of new train turnover we might see when they discover that new eden possibly doesn't exist so there's going to be more there's more lj's in there because those jackboots were not like hesitant about holding down strong boy you know and and doing that they're they're going to be just hiding just the same that, that they were when Wilford took over. That leads us toward looking forward to this this train, this show. Unfortunately, given the the, the way that it's paced, because it's an action-based show, they can't spend overly long doing some of the nice world-building stuff that helps us sleep better at night in terms of understanding how things work, which is a bummer, because when we have to kind of spend time on the podcast coming up with some of those reasons about how things are going to work. Opportunities like changing over the train, reconnecting the trains, etc., etc., uh, starting off democracy under a false <laughs> promise of of where they're going. It gives us some, an opportunity to to rebuild that that structure, how the train is is going to work. Given that, what do you guys think? Do you think little things like do they just keep LJ and Oz in the in the in the night car since they've been you know they know how it works? 
they have a piano player built into the staff you know why not uh do you think that we continue to to run the the entire train from the snowpiercer engine rather than the big alice engine and kind of fuck that place close it down (laughs) kick out all mr wilford's stuff just little things like that how do you think we proceed or do you think we just dive right back into the action next week with conniving scheming people like asha or audrey trying to sneak into mr wilford's cell so the the seeds of discord right away what do you guys think we see next week yeah i mean i think there definitely has to be something with wilford someone needs to go to him he needs to get some sort of information he needs to start doing his mind game because that's all he has at this point being you know on the other side of the cell so he's gonna have to find the right person to get in their mind and sort of infiltrate and get him you know kind of coerce them to help him or give him the info that he needs to kind of plant those seeds with people that will be on his side and i think it might be asha i kind of think so too so i feel like maybe the next episode would be an asha wilford possibly meeting because he heard her on the you know on the loudspeaker so like i feel like he's gonna be very interested in speaking with her maybe that will be the episode i feel like it might be a bit of a filler maybe the next episode like they said on the they kind of preemptively said you know we're gonna it's gonna take a while to get to eden and there's gonna be a lot of bumps on the road so i feel like maybe one of those bumps will make an appearance in the next episode as well i mean like train mechanical problems yeah yeah so i feel like something will happen with that to kind of lead us into like you know the 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 later half of the season and maybe possibly also because Zara's bump is looking really big. So hopefully we can also, if, if Layden and her are like, Hey, let's go check out the baby at the doctor's, maybe something <laughs> will show up on, on the scanner and they're going to be like, what did Wilford do? So, mm. I mean, that's a lot for one episode, but I feel like those should be the ones addressed if it's kind of more of a filler episode. I, I like that stuff, Kat. Those are definitely uh, things waiting to drop. And I think that I, Asha is the perfect person to do it in that, that all of the other people that that would have had uh, Wilford's allegiance, you know, without him lording over them, they might not be so quick to to come back, you know, like Doctor Headwood or or whatever. Hosh is the only one that doesn't have all that background with him. Yeah, I I agree that some of that might start popping up. I think if I had to pick what what to show in this next episode, I would like to kind of see um, a little bit more like slow down and let's like take a look at like what's going on. We already had our battle and we turned over. So now let's see what the new government looks like. And also like, I'm really curious as to all of the sciencey stuff of how like things are going on the train. You know, I haven't seen beef cars in a while. I haven't seen their farm and their garden. I've seen their compost area, but like, I like that stuff a lot. And that was a huge appeal for me in the first two seasons was getting ex- a lot of exposure into how the balance of the ecosystem part of this is done. And I feel like they've gone through and shown us a lot of damage that they've done to each other's train. We've lost some trains. We've like got some trains that are uninhabitable. We've lost power and stuff like that. I want to see like what's the scientific plan to get this to a more stabilized ecosystem because it has to be 
completely disrupted with how like careful Melanie designed every single thing to be. And we haven't seen that. And now all of a sudden, I'm just supposed to just believe like, yeah, we keep like blowing stuff up and go while we're going like really fast speeds and nothing's happened. I want to see some of that. So hopefully this is like one of those filler roles that gives us an opportunity to do that and also kind of start kicking off the next parts of each of the storylines. For example, Roche. I'm very interested to see how Roche is going to react to his family situation coming out of the drawers. It really looked like his Mm. wife didn't make it. And to him, she was perfect, right? Like, and when they went into bed, perfectly healthy, when they went into the drawers, to him, it's like waking up like seconds later, even though it's several months later, that's going to be really traumatizing. And I know Tess is going to be there. So and I really liked Roche um, before he went into the drawers, too. So I'm really genuinely like heartbroken for him. Like, this is so freaking awful. I'm hoping that they keep the overall other kind of scheming drama to like low intensity so that we can allow ourselves to kind of have our feelings back without like this like need to like you know fight or flight kind of situation that we've been on i'm hoping that episode four will give us a little time to recoup just a second to to set the stage a little bit for what's what they would like to go forward now it doesn't have to go forward that way but just something where where we just catch our breath just for a second we just had a major overthrow <laughs> of, of, of the train you know the trains were literally nose to nose pushing each other you know it was it was very cool uh, visuals you know yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. and thrilling but yeah as an audience it's time just just give us a sec um, yeah yeah like i i do want to know how zara's baby is because cat's right it's it's about to be born any moment now and psycho doctor was doing some stuff to it and i really want to know what that is <laughs> so and ho- and i don't think that that requires like another uprising and another war i think that i can enjoy that without that so um let's i've got my fingers crossed all right guys well that sounds like that's an episode uh, <laughs> if you like what we're doing here please remember to rate review and subscribe to this podcast on itunes or spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts five stars or the highest rating would help other people find the podcast if people want to find you and what you're up to cat what would they need to look for yes you can find me on twitter and instagram at things cat loves things cat loves one of those things is snow piercer yes <laughs> and if people wanted to to get some uh, opinions on on ruth or bad opinions on andre layton where would they find inez yeah to keep finding out everything that Neezy thinks on twitter so at Neezy thinks and then you can hear me continue my rants <laughs> awesome thanks guys Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.